say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. And welcome to episode 190 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today on this newest day in 2020 and this newest day in the decade. And you know it, we are already hearing and seeing so much talk about being smaller, healthier. Yes, National Dieting Month has started. And are you ready? I am here with you. Let's join together. Let's rally and let's make sure we stay in our body and know that we can trust it. I hope this episode and all the episodes of the Love Food Podcast help you to get through 2020 feeling at home in your own skin. And I am so excited to be sharing with you this episode because I get to talk to Christy Harrison, fellow anti-diet dietitian and author of the new book that you, oh my gosh, you need to read. I think it is such an important book. It's one that everyone's going to be talking about. And that makes me so excited because we need to really call out diet culture for what it is. But Christy Harrison is the author of the book, Anti-Diet, and she's going to help me sift through a letter that I was so glad to finally receive. I get lots of different food letters about situations that are unique, but that also have some similar themes. But no one has asked yet about sustainability and environmentalism, vegetarianism and veganism, and like being kind to the environment. How does one do that and walk their food peace journey? It is such an important question. And Christy outlines an amazing kind of expose on environmental issues and how they're intertwined with diet culture. So when I read this letter, I knew I needed to get Christy to help me to answer it. And I'm thrilled that she has agreed to do just that. But before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is a condition that affects so many people. And the one thing that everyone with PCOS hears that they have to do is that they have to diet in order to manage the condition and to promote health. I know, and I think you do too, that diets don't work for most people. So why would they work for PCOS? They don't. They don't work for most people. And so I made a course just for you. Those of you affected by PCOS who are wanting a different way, check out all the details at PCOSandfoodpeace.com. If you would like to support the Love Food Podcast, I would be eternally grateful. I am in the process of looking for a literary agent. Yes, I am. I've been doing it for a while. And one of the things that um, I got as feedback is that I needed more ratings and reviews for the Love Food Podcast. I already have 500 amazing ones, which seriously already makes my heart just so happy. It always makes me happy to read them and I feel so grateful for the feedback. And what they're saying is I need 500 more. 
So if you haven't left a rating or review, or if this show has helped you on your food peace journey, I would love it if you could spend two seconds by doing that. You can just tell me how many stars you want. You can write a review if you want. And actually, I have a really quick way to access it in the show notes. You just click on there and it takes you right to reviewing it in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much in advance for doing just that or sharing the show or subscribing. Doing any of those acts of kindness really helps the show grow. Okay, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter and hear from Christy Harrison, author of Anti-Diet. Dear Food, I've been in recovery from anorexia and orthorexia for over six months now, and I've been feeling so much better. Digestive issues I've experienced for years have finally cleared up, and I love the way my body feels when I'm nourishing it and giving it what it wants. Nevertheless, I struggle with the ways my food choices impact the environment. For a long time, while fully enmeshed in my eating disorder, I set out to live without electricity and try to grow all my own food. Anything I did buy had to be something that I could convincibly produce in my area. This was a lot of rules, and Ed loved it. During times when I fell short of vision and ate imported foods, I was ashamed. And during times when I succeeded, I felt superior to others who lacked the discipline to care for the earth the way I did. All in all, I was unhealthy and isolated. Now in my recovery, I no longer have such high standards. I try to live simply, but give myself the joy of buying foods and now use electricity to do some of the things I love and care about. I've also become involved in environmental activism. In the climate justice sphere, veganism is often touted as a major step one can take for the earth. In spite of this, I know deep down that eating animal products can be done in a way that is in balance with earth and my body. I also know that the more time I spend obsessing on food, the less energy I have for this activism I care so much about. But it's hard food, hard to be among people who claim that there is a moral imperative to eat in a certain way. Sometimes I wonder if I will ever be able to find food peace while also believing certain foods are better for the environment and others aren't. How can I have food peace when I feel my dietary choices are something I need to defend? How can I have food peace When a part of me knows that entire way we live now, including how we get our food, is it in balance with the earth? Sincerely, a letter writer. Thank you so much, letter writer. Your note is so very important, so very timely, and really speaks to how deep and confusing diet culture is. We have to really try to be sure that we are living with our values and also not getting it all twisted up into things that we don't support. You know, your recovery is super important and your values are too. I want to help you make sense of this. And also there are so many people listening who can identify with what you're going through. I am thrilled to welcome Christy Harrison, dietitian and author of the new book, Anti-Diet. She has a whole chapter on this exact experience, which I was so happy to read. And I think for you, letter writer, and anyone who can relate to this, you're going to get so much out of the book, Anti-Diet. 
So let's go ahead and give Christy a call. Hello. Hey, Christy, it's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? Hey, Julie, I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to talk to you about this letter. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready to dive in. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. This letter, holy moly, brings up so many important topics that I really want your opinion on. When you were reading through it, what was your general impression about what this person's experiencing? Uh, My general impression was I really identified with this. I've been through some similar stuff myself in terms of, you know, orthorexic thinking about food and specifically related to sustainability and the environment and getting all kinds of twisted around the axle in the grocery store trying to figure out what to buy and what to eat and eat as low on the food chain as possible. And, you know, as the person um, acknowledged and sort of alluded to, you know, they realized that that was such a part of their lack of peace with food, of their their difficult relationship with food. And I can just remember, you know, 10 or 15 years ago being in that place myself. So that was kind of my first reaction was like so much compassion and understanding and empathy for this person. Um, and also, you know, sort of awareness now as someone who specializes in disordered eating and unpacking and debunking diet culture beliefs that, you know, recognizing how this belief system and this idea of sustainability and eating in a certain way to protect the environment actually fits in with diet culture. Mm, Yeah. And I love how you, um, help us understand this in your book, Anti-Diet. How, Could you share with um, any listeners that are in in this place, how do you connect what this person is struggling with, like sustainability, environmental concerns? How do you connect it with diet culture? Yeah, it's so interesting because I always sort of knew since I started working in the eating disorders field, I started to see again and again in clients these orthorexic beliefs that specifically were around environmental issues and that that was tied up in a lot of people's eating disorders as it had been with mine. And so I was like, there's something here, but I don't quite know how to trace this connection. And so in writing my book, I spent a lot of time look exploring and and reflecting on the history of that moment in time and sort of figuring out how that connected with diet culture of the past. And what I think really happened was around the turn of the 20th or around the turn of the 21st century, um, the late 1990s or so, diet culture started to go underground in this really interesting way because people were realizing diets don't work. There were like major studies coming out saying that weight loss efforts were ineffective long term, that, you know, the NIH had a panel that convened on the state of the science in like 1992 or something saying that, you know, diets don't work. They have a 90 plus percent failure rate um, that we need to do something different to help support people's well-being, basically. And I think that started the diet industry, you know, thinking about ways to shape shift and stay relevant and try to combat this idea that diets don't work. And so this, the going line started to be, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change or it's not about dieting, it's about health. And, you know, around the late 1990s or so, I talk about this in my book, but the the construction of the so-called obesity epidemic began to take place. The, this idea of a, you know, it, it's not real. I'm trying to <laughs> like make that very clear too, that it's a, it's a made up phenomenon, but it, it started to be made up and constructed around 
that time. And then, you know, so that's like a whole other story basically that I go into in my book. But the the outcome of that was that people started to talk about body size as a disease and an epidemic, including a lot of these writers, these early writers who sort of set the stage for thinking about sustainability and environmental issues in food to become more mainstream. So people like Eric Schlosser with his book, Fast Food Nation, Marian Nessel, who's a professor at NYU in food studies and public health, who's really influenced a huge generation of food writers and public health professionals, including myself. Um, and Michael Pollan is probably the best known of those authors who, you know, really popularized the idea of sustainability and his famous line, you know, eat food, not too mm -hmm. much, mostly plants, mm -hmm. has become the basis of so many wellness bloggers today and, you know, wellness gurus on Instagram and all this stuff. And it, it's gotten you know, taken to a, a really um, ridiculous degree with social media and sort of the proliferation of these ideas. But even where it started in the early 2000s was really based on this uh, fat phobic foundation. So there was a lot of weight stigma baked into the idea that we had to change the way we were eating to support the environment, right? It was this idea like, you know, fast food is killing us and making it by making us fat you know, fast mm -hmm. or, um, you know, industrially processed food, quote unquote, is, you know, really problematic for the environment. And it's, it's making us fat and therefore unhealthy. Ooh, and so, so connected by, it like enforced the, the argument by relying on fat phobic ideas. Exactly, mm. exactly. And it wasn't just about, you know, it was like the environmental stuff was so woven into that that I think it was hard for people to absorb the message that, okay, we can do make some changes to how we eat in order to support the environment without also having to, you know, take it with a big side of fat phobia and weight stigma and internalize that. And also, you know, the fact that we've lived in like diet culture has existed now for about 150 years or so. And the fact that we had all these decades and decades of diet culture before the sustainability idea started to become mainstream, I think ensured that even if we were to not deliver those messages with a side of weight stigma the way that they were by Michael Pollan and his ilk, um, there would still be a lot of I think people would still have a lot of difficulty making changes in how they eat and restricting their eating in any way in order to support the environment because we have such a history, a cultural history of restriction and deprivation already, you know, that it's really hard to make changes in how you eat in any way that's restricting food when you've been deprived of food and had a disordered relationship with food in the past. Right. Yeah. Like, so we already have been brought up for generations now thinking that certain bodies are better, certain ones are bad, certain ones are like uh, hurting the rest of us, you know, it seems to be like the dumping ground for everything negative. And so I, I can appreciate like if we're like born with that idea and we're taught that and it's passed down to us from our families and then we're taught like, hey, um, let's be kinder to the earth. Like how it, it's so hard to not make it into something that is also fat phobic because it can't, it's trying to like lay next to it. I can, I kind of, I think I see what you're saying in a way that how, um, uh, I think this is really hard. I'm gonna kind of want to start over because I think I think this is really hard because sustainability for so many people ends up being this like moral thing and having it this discussion about food and touching next to bodies and body size and and that kind of conversation. We have to make sure we really are um, 
protecting that. I don't know, like making sure that it's not dipping into harming people and um, maybe talking about the world in a way that's going to be helping the environment um, is great and everything. But if it's marginalizing groups of people um, and and harming all of us in so many different ways, it's not really going to be saving anything, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And also, you know, it gets into the sort of the moralizing about food really touches on the the tenet of diet culture that is about demonizing some foods and elevating others, right? That's a central feature of diet culture. That's one of its main hallmarks. And I would argue the the sort of um, primary hallmark in this day and age in the 21st century. The other ones, you know, the um, worshiping thinness and equating it to health and moral virtue and promoting weight loss as a means of attaining higher status are very much still there in the 21st century, but they're a little more implicit. The volume is turned down a little on those. It's kind of like, oh yeah, well, of course you'll be thin or of course thin is healthy, but like, it's not about weight loss. It's just about health. And like the weight will naturally fall off when you do these things that are supposedly good for your health. Right. So like that's the the moment we're in culturally. And I think um, you know, the environmental arguments about food really helped push us in that direction, helped change the shape of diet culture to be more focusing on this moralizing about food and to have weight and body size be, you know, a little more in the background than they were in like the, you know, say 1970s and 80s when it was like thin is in, you know, like lose weight to look good. Um now it's couched in this moral language about health and about well-being and about, you know, certain foods just object, you know, quote unquote, objectively being bad or being good. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that messaging around why certain foods are good or bad is very much tied up with sustainability arguments. Yeah. But, you know, as the letter writer alluded to, it's like in capitalism, what is the the um, phrase? And I forget who even said it, but it's like there's no ethical consumption in capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like you're we're all kind of screwed, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. um, the, you know, the the ethical choices we might make for one food over another are going to have so little effect compared to sort of the, the larger system as a whole. And I think that's the other thing about this letter that I really want to point out is that I'm all for sustainability. I'm all for the environment. I try to do things to reduce my carbon footprint and my toll on the the earth in other areas of life. But just knowing myself and what I went through in trying to make those changes with my food, I've realized that it's not good self-care for me to try to make decisions that might seem ethical related to food, but that actually aren't ethical to me because I'm an animal too and I have to take care of myself. And, you know, actually the research really shows that when it comes to, say, carbon emissions, which is one of the things that people will argue for veganism to address, right, that, you know, it's it's reducing emissions to eat fewer animals or whatever, um, the, the research really shows that actually it's There's only a hundred companies. There's a a 2017 study showing that there's only a hundred companies that are responsible for 71% of the global emissions. And when you think about that, it's like, okay, so that's really, you know, the largest piece of the pie is these big corporate polluters. It's, you know, oil companies and large manufacturers. And, you know, the, the solution to that is not for a small group of committed consumers to make personal sacrifices and, um, not buy those products because how would we even function without, you know, we're all kind of dependent on fossil fuels to a large extent. 
And if we're trying to not be and like live fully off the grid, that's at a huge personal sacrifice that very, very few people are going to actually make. That's probably, you know, arguably a bigger toll on the person's life than it is helping contribute to the reduction in carbon emissions for just a few people to do that. Um, and so really what we need to do to address that huge piece of the pie, the emissions pie that is being caused by these corporate polluters is government regulation is electing officials who are going to hold these polluters accountable and put restrictions on what they can do and move, you know, the the economy in a greener direction and not electing officials who are going to give these corporations a pass and, you know, allow them to keep polluting and roll back regulations that exist. And so that to me is where we need to be putting our energies and that's really what I'm focusing on in my own life as a an environmental you know, to the extent that I'm still an environmental activist, I was very active in that movement, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And now I'm sort of trying to do what I can. And that is one of the ways in which I um, feel like I can make a difference is, you know, helping organize, giving to politicians and elected officials who are going to um, contribute to rolling back pollutions and putting greater regulations on these corporate polluters. Yeah. So like organizing and figuring out who you're going to vote for, like we actually need brain power to do that. So, mm -hmm. you know, doing all those restrictions as this letter writer is talking about, I don't know how you could actually make that work on an empty stomach, you know, like you need some totally. fuel to be able to do that. And um, thank you for like helping us understand that. Like I, that study sounds so important. And um, I know for me, I do uh, value sustainability and I, um, you know, I want to support a community that is, um, I don't know, has less chemicals and pollutants and things like that. But also, um, if individually we are hurting ourselves, so these 70% plus, you know, or not that though, the 100 companies that are doing 70% of the pollution can just like sit back and not really sacrifice a thing. That is really awful. Um, so I appreciate that. That's that's super helpful. And, you know, for this, this letter writer, anyone who can relate, um, I know you said that you had a similar experience. Are there a couple steps that you would recommend to start out? Like, how can someone go from being knee deep into diet culture under the guise of environmental activism and um, start to like move forward? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think it takes a while. I mean, I know for me to fully recover from that, it took a good, you know, eight to 10 years or so of, of really just working at intuitive eating and letting go of those restrictions. So, you know, I want to acknowledge that it's not like it's going to happen overnight. But I think a step that people can take towards helping themselves, you know, become freer with food and make peace with food is just to stop, um, you know, second guessing themselves as much, right? To, to say good enough to their food choices, you know, whether that looks like um, just kind of buying what looks good in the store in any given moment, challenging yourself to maybe not go to the place that has only sustainable vegan, you know, plant-based whatever, but to, to go to a restaurant that sounds good to you that might not only have those things, um, to allow yourself, you know, if you've been in this place. And I do want to also say, by the way, you know, I'm not saying that nobody could ever possibly be vegan, for example, mm -hmm. and not have issues with food. Like I have seen rare people who are able to do it for ethical reasons and also have strong recovery from diet culture. So it's not like it's totally impossible. But I think that 
the vast majority of people that I've seen in recovery have to step away from those kinds of restrictions for a time and maybe possibly forever because that those restrictions are just too triggering and pull them back into the disordered relationship with food too easily. So, you know, some people might be able to, to be vegan or make other changes that, um, you know, food wise that support the environment, but I, I don't think it's for everyone, certainly. Um, so for those people that, you know, it is harming and it, it doesn't feel sustainable or it feels like it's re-triggering you, I think, you know, challenging yourself to eat one type of animal product that you'd maybe um, taken out of your life. And, you know, instead of making that change with food, maybe you explore a way that you can help um, promote environmental causes another way, you know, mm-hmm giving to an organization that supports clean air, water, like, you know, the Sierra Club or NRDC um, or, you know, writing to your elected official or calling them and, you know, pushing for their support on uh, environmental regulations or giving to a, a candidate in your area who's maybe working to unseat someone who has been a friend of corporate polluters, you know? Um, I mean, for me right now, I'm, I've been really busy with getting ready for my book launch and all the other stuff that I still have to juggle in the meantime and don't have a lot of time to do the organizing stuff, but I have, you know, financially, I'm, I'm privileged right now to have some extra cash so I can give money to candidates I believe in. And that's a way that I feel like I can contribute. So however you can contribute, whether you have time or money or energy to devote to these things, you know, a little bit goes a long way. And I think the more you can sort of, um, take your eggs out of the basket of, changing your food to support the environment and put some of them into the basket of, you know, these larger structural types of changes and changes at the political level, I think the better off you'll be in terms of feeling at peace with food and also feeling like you're contributing and making a difference in the environment as well. Yeah. So I'm hearing like, it's not all or nothing. And, um, you know, you can be someone who's uh, pro-environment and sometimes eating something that is um, from um, or from a can or a box or something like that or mm-hmm. an animal product. And um, there's, I, I love how you phrase it as good enough. Like this is good enough. This is fine, you know. Um, and I think about people walking through the grocery store and and feeling so um, just so like stressed and confused and paralyzed um, with the choices because of the um, real push to like be so exact with this. And when we're feeling that kind of pull to do it exactly, I think about how what you just said, like there are other ways to do this and I'm an animal too. So (laughs) this is hurting me. This is literally hurting me right now. So let me not second guess it. Let me get something that's just good enough because getting enough food is the most important thing here. And um, I'll make sure with my stomach having enough food to be able to to do this work that I want to do. Um, I just think the things that you're laying out are so um, helpful and just make it so much easier to kind of think about ways to move forward. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah it's such a great conversation to have and, you know, topic to think through. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I was excited to read this letter because I think it's uh, a topic that does not get enough kind of nuance to it. And, um, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, if someone was vegetarian or vegan, it was like, that's it. You know, you're never going to eat an animal product again. And what I've noticed over the last 
don't know, maybe three or four years as some people are saying, well, you know, I like vegan food, but I still eat animal products. So I just do both. I'm like, that is so great <laughs> you know, to be able to like just enjoy vegan foods and um, include that. And um, like you said, it's good enough. That's good enough. Mm. Um, so thank you for that. And we have something on the show called the Food Peace Syllabus. If you're new to the Love Food Podcast, the Food Peace Syllabus is a list of resources that help our relationship with food and body, like books or other podcasts, anything under the sun. And you can get the most updated version at juliedillonrd.com. Christy, what would you like to add to our Food Peace Syllabus today? Yes. Well, I think the the number one thing I'd love to add is my book, which is just as we're recording this, it's going to be coming out in less than two weeks. And probably by the time this airs, it'll be available everywhere. So um, I would love to add that. It's called Anti-Diet, Reclaim Your Time, Money, Well-Being, and Happiness Through Intuitive Eating. And you can get it. You can order it online at christyharrison.com slash book, or you can get it wherever books are sold once, uh, once it drops, which is December 24th in North America. And and December 26th, basically the rest of the English speaking world. So incredible. Yes. So this episode is going to air on December 31st on the eve of National Dieting Month. <laughs> so <laughs> anti-diet is how we are going to fuel ourselves to get through it and make sure we like help people also move out of the way, <laughs> you know, like our move away from rather um, diet culture. And if someone wants to know more about your work, your fabulous food um, site podcasts, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, I would love for people to check it out. Um, my podcast is called Food Psych and it's, it's available wherever you're listening to this podcast or wherever podcasts are found. Um, and it's spelled F-O-O-D space P-S-Y-C-H. So all two words and no E on the end. Some people want to put an E. Um, and you can find the rest of my work and, and the podcast as well on my website, which is christyharrison.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Julie. It's great to talk with you. So there you have it, letter writer. I hope that conversation that I had with Christy Harrison was helpful for you and anyone listening who is experiencing similar things. I know it can be really tough to recover or to move away from diets when sustainability or food activism or environmental issues are at the core of what you really find important in your life. We can really appreciate that. And I really appreciate Christy sharing her own experiences and again, I hope it helps you just to get some firmer footing because your recovery is worth it. And there is another way, you know, doing things good enough really is a way to be sustainable with this in the long run, to fuel your body, to be able to keep those corporate greedy a-holes from really doing all the shit they're doing. We need you and we need you fueled to do it. <laughs> so I see that food has written back. But before we get to food's letter, this episode of a Love Food podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. Get to all the details at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Love Food podcast, I would appreciate it if you left a rating, a review, subscribed, or shared the episode. Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow and helps more people connect with options that include food peace. And you know what I always say, everyone deserves to feel at home in their own skin. So again, doing any of those acts of kindness helps more people find the show. So I appreciate all of that in advance. Dear Letter Writer, we know you care 
and want to bring kindness to the world. We have witnessed you trying so hard to do the right thing that it harmed you, your health, your well being, your spirit. You can live your values and be kind to yourself. Practice permission for good enough and how you live your life. Be sure you're eating enough to fuel the organizing needed to stop corporate greed. Don't hurt yourself so they can thrive. We need you energized to help make this world a better place. Otherwise, we all lose. Love, food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food? I would love to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. All right. So until next time, take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.